Podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I chose an episode from Hall of Fantasy called The Perfect Script. Hall of Fantasy premiered in 1946 on CBS affiliate KALL in Salt Lake City. The show is created by radio announcer Richard Thorne and sponsored by local furnishing chain Granite Furniture. Its successful run came to an end in June of 1947 when Richard Thorne left KALL for WGN in Chicago. In 1949, Thorne revived Hall of Fantasy for WGN, focusing less on mystery and more on supernatural horror. This version of the show ran until 1953 and was nationally syndicated by the Mutual Broadcasting System from 1952 to 1954. Most of the series' surviving episodes are from this later run. According to the Digital Delhi Radio Log, the perfect script is the earliest existing episode of the series, originally broadcast February 16, 1947. Like most of the stories from the first run of the series, it was written by Robert Olson and directed by Richard Thorne. And now, the perfect script from Hall of Fantasy. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from your speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Ladies and gentlemen, the Granite Furniture Company, with stores in Sugar House, Murray, and Provo, presents... The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio dramas dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friends. We shall descend to the world of the unknown and forbidden. Down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted, and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of The Perfect Script. The Granite Furniture Company brings you the Hall of Fantasy. Listen now to original tales of the imagination and some of the classics of the supernatural as we take you down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy to the mysterious realms of the unknown. These are stories of eerie and fantastic thrills brought to you by your friends at the Granite Furniture Stores. Now for tonight's story, an original radio drama by Bob Olson entitled... The Perfect Script. It's inspiration, gentlemen. With a proper inspiration, anyone can write a perfect script. In this case, the inspiration is horror. You have just listened to another in the series of dramas entitled The Perfect Script. A real-as-life story of horror produced by John Marchant. Be sure to listen again next week for another premiere of another Perfect Script.
wraps up another perfect script. Yeah, a little too perfect, if you ask me. Every time I work one of these shows, I want a police escort to see me home. There's a Mr. Schenk to see you. Shall I send him in? Schenk? Oh, the new writer. Yes, send him in, please. Schenk, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you made it. Have a seat. Thank you, Mr. Marchand. Did you decide to accept my terms? Well, your shows are famous. Uh, sounds like I'm starting at the top. You are. You realize, of course, that this is a one-time shot. Yeah, so I understand. Uh, no one ever writes two perfect scripts, but uh, why? Once you've written one, you'll know the answer to that. It's a queer setup, but it's too good a chance to miss. Uh, when do I start? Immediately. I'll drive you out there myself. Out where? In the coast, uh, a few miles to my beach house. You will find it perfect for writing your type of script. Sounds okay to me. Fine. I'll order the car. Mr. Maine, call the garage and tell them to have my car ready in five minutes. I'll be up at my beach house. I am taking the new rider. Just call the garage. I won't be back today. Now, uh, shall we go? Hmm. Sooner the better. must have taken a walk. Trudy's the housekeeper. She spends a lot of time just walking on the beach. She had a terrible shock, poor girl, but she's harmless. Well, it looks as if we'll have to let ourselves in. Trudy? Trudy, are you here? Here I am, Mr. Marchand. I knocked. Where were you? I was down... I was asleep. Well, no matter. This is Mr. Schenk. He'll be with us for a little while. I thought you were taking one of your walks at first. Tonight? She's uh, looking for her husband, Beat. He was a pilot and crashed in the sea close to here. Trudy thinks he'll show up. Oh, he will. Don't you think he will, Mr. Shank? Well, That's enough, Trudy. Show Mr. Shank to his room. Same room the others have? Of course. Now hurry. Mr. Shank probably wants to clean up a bit. He's going to start writing, so take some cold milk and sandwiches to him. Or would you rather have coffee? Oh, milk would be fine. Show him where to find the writing materials, too. He has a big night ahead of him. I'm, uh, I'm sorry to hear about your husband. It was just a forced landing. He walked away from three others. He'll come back someday. Yeah. Uh, have you heard anything at all? Oh, yes. He sent me his ring. That's the signal we had to let me know he was coming home. How did he send it, Trudy? The ocean brought it. The ocean? Yes, a little boy found it on the beach. You mean a ring was washed up on the beach? Some poor man was washed ashore. He had it on his hand. Probably a friend of Jack's. Many flyers were killed during the war, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, uh, this flyer was washed ashore, uh... Didn't they identify him? No, he was in the sea too long. Well, did you see the body? They wouldn't let me. They said it was too horrible. Yeah, I can well imagine. This is your room, Mr. Shank. They all used this room. Who all used it? All the writers of John, Mr. Marchant's scripts. Well, it's a very nice room. Nice view of the ocean from here. I, I think I'll throw open this window and get some... Fresh air. Here's the clean linen, typewriter and paper, and here's the pitcher of milk. Ah, thanks. Ah, yep, this is sure a fine place to do a bit of writing. Mr. Shank. Yeah, Trudy? 
I'm sorry you came here. Really? Well, I'm sorry if you don't like me, Trudy. I do like you. That's why I'm sorry you came. Ah, nice folks. Well, if I can't write a script here, I can't write it anywhere. Ah, what more can a man ask? Ah, a little more of that Trudy, and I wouldn't be able to write the date. Too bad, too. You're really not bad looking. Kind of pretty, in fact. Yeah, well, when a mind cracks, there's nothing much anyone can do about it. Now, now for the perfect script. Yeah, February 16th. It's uh, a good start. <laughs> the Perfect Script by Peter Schenk. Yep, you're on your way. A Marchant production is a very auspicious beginning. The first inkling I had of any plot was when the deluded housekeeper told me that she wished I hadn't come. What has happened to the writers of the other perfect scripts, I wonder? Uh, if I had any sense, I'd scram out of here. Jack? Jack? That, that's Trudy. She's running down the beach, looking for her dead husband. I think I'll just follow her and see what happens. No, Trudy, it, it isn't Jack. It isn't Jack. Uh, sorry, Trudy. But he will come someday, won't he? Yeah, yeah, he, he will. Yeah, let's sit down a bit. This running in the sand is very tiring. Jack isn't dead, is he? Oh, certainly not in your thoughts, Trudy. Well, you watch the sea a lot, don't you? I must watch the sea. I wouldn't want to miss Yeah, things. yeah, I know. I spend a lot of time watching the sea myself. Mighty indifferent to sea. Well, Trudy, shall we start back? Jack won't come tonight. Maybe tomorrow night. Yeah, maybe maybe the sea will give him to you tomorrow. You think so? Do you think he'll come back tomorrow? Tell me he'll come back tomorrow. Johnny said he'd never come back. Johnny lied, didn't he? Johnny? Who's Johnny? He's... Oh, <gasps> here you are. Are you ready to get started on that script? Well, Sean, where did you come from? I say, shall we get started on that script? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I've already started what was that? What was what? I saw the shadow of a man diving behind that sand dune. George. Trudy, be quiet. Trudy always imagines she sees things at night. I think you're having the same trouble, Shank. That was just the moon shifting a new shadow across the sand. There's nobody around here closer than five miles. No, it was a man. It was a shadow, Shank. Nothing but a shadow. Yeah, okay, shadow. Uh, Mr. Marshall, I, I don't think Trudy was very happy to see me come out here. Why do you say that? Well, she told me she wished I hadn't come. What'd she mean by that? Mean? How do I know what she meant? Trudy's always afraid someone's going to take her away from here before she finds her husband. Pay no attention to it. There's George again. Oh, you heard me. I think we'd better get back to that script, Shank. Are you ready? You know, on second thought, Mr. Marchand, maybe I can't cut it. Maybe I better try some other show at first till I get good enough for the perfect script show. Nonsense. You'll never be any more ready than you are right now. Yeah, I know, but... The uh, script, Mr. Schenk, will be perfect. And you'll write it.
You are listening to The Perfect Script by Bob Olson in tonight's journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. Presented by the Granite Furniture Company with stores in Sugar House, Murray, and Provo. Now back to tonight's story, entitled The Perfect Script. Come in. Now, for that script. Yeah, better get started, huh? I thought you told me you'd already started it. Well, not not perfect enough. I tore it up. You shouldn't have done that. I wanted to see it. Maybe I could have offered you some suggestions. No, it wasn't any good. Just a false start. I see. By the way, I noticed you were taking in the view from your window. Yeah, I was fascinated by the way the moonlight topped those white caps. Very pretty. I should think you'd have gotten enough of watching the ocean in 29 months. Uh, just a habit, Mr. Marchand, just a habit. Tell me, what else did you see? See? Nothing. You lie. I do. Never mind. It's of no consequence now. Let's get busy with that script. Uh, before we do, Mr. Marchand, I, I, I have a question to ask you. Well, what is it? Whatever happened to your other writers? Why do you ask that? Well, frankly, I'm thinking of my future. Very practical, Shank. Then what did happen to them? I found a place for them. A place? What sort of a place? A very satisfactory place, Mr. Shank. And you uh, intend to find such a place for me? Indeed I do. Fear not, my young friend. You shall have just such a place. Marchand is gone. Cards are on the table. Yeah, he's even bolted the doors. For some strange reason, I can't budge the windows or even smash the panes. I know he plans to kill me. To produce such a horror in this room that he'll have the actual passionate record of a terrified and dying man. Yeah, but just how he intends to bring it about, I don't quite know. I've just poured myself a glass of cold milk. Yeah, but this I do know. This script is written by Peter Shank, a very mediocre writer, but one with enough talent to find an enthusiastic audience in the Los Angeles Police Department. Now, Mr. Shank, you will begin your script in earnest. And you seem to be collaborating in earnest. What's that in your hand, an Army 45? I am not a ballistics expert, Mr. Shank. I must confess my ignorance. All I know about this weapon is that it's very deadly. Yeah, it's an Army 45. Very deadly piece of merchandise. <laughs> you find something amusing? Yeah, I, I was just thinking, Mr. Marchant, what a dirty trick it'd be if I should let you kill me and make you write your own perfect script. Oh, I don't intend to kill you, Mr. Shank. You don't? Then why the gun? This gun will keep you here until I'm through with you. I've no fear of anything I can live through, Mr. Marchant. Death is sometimes preferable. I have enough skill with this Army 45, as you call it, to make any movement on your part an extremely painful one. From there on, I have someone who might inspire the fear you spoke of. You mean our uh, shifting shadow, George? Exactly. George has a cozy little apartment below ground. I hope he doesn't disturb you. Oh, so George is the inspiration for the horror you spoke of. Mm -hmm. George is very helpful. You know, Marchand, you strike me as being rather stupid. I'm sorry you think so. Yeah. You want a script written, a perfect script. You engage me to write that script in the face of a torture and death from which you give me no chance to escape. 
You know, you, you ought to put a bonus on this thing. Give me a little incentive. That will not be necessary. I'm quite certain that in approximately five minutes, you'll need no incentive. Five minutes? What's that got to do with it? You were observed pouring and drinking a glass of milk a few minutes ago. True? Yeah, yeah, I guess that's right. Wait, you mean that you... Poison? No, Mr. Shank. Just a little potion to deaden the willpower. In exactly five... No. Four and a half minutes. You will act only on the power of suggestion. Does that strike you as stupid, Mr. Shank? You're lying. Wait and see, or have you something better to do? I have, you filthy maniac. Why, in two minutes I could kill you. Yes, and by heaven I intend... Stand back! You wouldn't get two feet. This is no cap gum. Go ahead. As long as you're alive, you have a chance. Go ahead, commit suicide. See how much good it does. Hey, you're lying, I tell you. Besides, I, I didn't have any of that milk. Now, Shank, you know differently. Just relax. This isn't so bad. You'll even get a thrill out of it. Believe me, don't fight it. You only hurt yourself when you do. I hope you... Uh, you're the craziest of the lot, Marchant. Your sister at least has some trace of feeling. You're just plain mad. My sister. Who mentioned it to you? Trudy did, Marchant. Or, uh, Johnny, if you prefer. You are more shrewd than I thought. Yeah, you're just careless. You depend too much on the discretion of the insane. They prattle without thinking, Marchand. Hmm, it doesn't matter. Think me insane if you like. Maybe I am. You'd be too if you had to hide someone like George from the world. But it doesn't matter. As for Trudy, she's mad from heartbreak and shock. She could have been saved if... Yeah, if you'd let her. Yeah, but it serves your plans better if she isn't too bright. Hmm. She's bright enough. She likes milk, too. You don't mean to tell me that you deliberately keep her dope no, out Oh, she's her. insane, all right. But every once in a while, I can't depend on it. You hold a person's life at little value, don't you? She's the only one who can handle George. She wouldn't do it of her own free will, so I just help her to make up her mind. But your time is up, Mr. Shank. How do you feel? Your eyes are quite glassy. Soon you won't even be able to talk. Very effective. Very effective. Yeah. Yeah, very effective. And now, Mr. Shank, shall we start the script? The script? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the perfect script. Write it yourself, Marchant. The typewriter, Mr. Shank. You're just about to write the finest script radio ever knew. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I want to write, but what'll I write about? Write just what you see. Explain it in detail. Everything you see and everything you think. Yeah, but I don't see anything. Don't you, Mr. Shank? Then turn around. Trudy. And George, Mr. Shank. George is going to help us with this script. He's quite talented. What's he going to do? A beautiful job of murder. Trudy, come with me. Where are you going? We won't be far away. George doesn't like to have anyone in the family around to watch him. Do you, George? Bad blood. Bad blood. Write it down, Mr. Schenk. There's plenty of time. Be sure to get it all. Here, you, you might like some fresh air. I'll throw open this window. <clears throat> Special glass, you know. Strong as steel. But you won't need it now. You won't try to escape. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the room with this monster. My shot did open the window. 
easy escape, yet I can't move. I can't leave this chair. I can't even cry out. Write it down. Write it all down. How my brain works like a trip hammer and my body does the bidding of a madman. It can't be happening. This is... This is like a dream where you want to run and your legs won't move. George is just staring at me and muttering about bad blood. Yeah, he's staring with those wild eyes as if he were waiting for a signal. Now he sees it. It's Trudy at the window, holding a knife with a blade that looks razor sharp. It's meant for me. I have no will for anything but to stay here and write this cursed script. Yeah, of course it's perfect. Why shouldn't it be? It's a diary of a monstrous murder. I'll never get out of this chair. Will I experience pain? I don't know. The script couldn't be perfect if I didn't. I hope I do. I want to experience something. Something that hasn't been willed on me by that insane Marchand. Trudy's holding the knife to George. Now she's pointing to me. George turns and faces me. He's walking toward me. Oh, why can't I do something to protect myself? Bad blood. George have bad blood. Everybody says George have bad blood. George need good blood. Then he be fine. No more bad blood. Trudy's climbing in the window. There are tears in her eyes. Watching George. Trudy feels just as I do. Mine's working, but can't do anything about it. I don't know what it is that Marchant's given us, but it's really hypnotic. George, get good blood now. George, need good blood. George, need lots of good blood. Then he all right. Then George, like everybody else, and walk in the sunshine. And swim in the ocean, just like everybody. And people say to George, Hello, George. How are you today? And George say, My blood very good today. George, get good blood now. Trudy's standing there. She's trying to say something to George. Tears are streaming down her cheeks. Trudy doesn't want me to die. Uh, I gave her false hope. She'd find her husband. And now Trudy knows that if I die, that hope dies too. Oh, if Trudy only had the will to... Ah, what irony. The only person in this room with any power over his body is George. And he has no mind with which to control it. There's my shot at the window. He looks horrified. Something going wrong with his plan? Trudy! Trudy, get out of there! You know what George is when any of us watch him? Get out of there before it's too late. George heard Marchand. He's turning around. He sees Trudy watching him. He sees the tears. His face lights up with anger. He grabs Trudy by the wrist, slashes at her with a knife. <laughs> oh, please, please give me the strength to move. Give me the power to get out of this chair. Marchand's standing there. No, no, he's leaping through the window. I think he's going to try to fight with George. He's rushing at the monster. George brushes him off. As he does, the sharp blade of the knife opens a deep wound in the side of Marchant's neck. Judy's lying on the floor. She doesn't stir. Marchant falls and lays quite still. A pool of blood forms quickly from the gushing wound, 
sight of the blood excites George. He kneels over my shot. He... he... Oh, no, I, I can't write it. It's too horrible. I've never seen a more grotesque sight in my life. I... I'm going to be sick. Now George is getting up. He's actually smiling. He sees Trudy on the floor and he stoops to pick her up in his powerful arms. Strokes her hair just as he did on the beach. His hands leave rich red stains on her face and hair. Now he's setting Trudy down tenderly. He turns towards me. Now George got good blood. George got Johnny blood. Johnny blood, good blood. Now George like everybody else. George blood very good today. I tried to say something, but didn't have the power. Perhaps that's what saved my life this time. George had forgotten about me and his exhilaration over getting my shots. Good blood. Yeah, Trudy's dead. No doubt about that. The knife had slashed her from just above the ear to the corner of her mouth. Trudy's dead. <laughs> and I can't help but think that now she'd find Jack at last. C isn't so indifferent after all. Oh, this night is interminable. The script soon will be finished. But Marchant will never produce it. Yeah. I had written it well. Couldn't help myself. Had to do it. Be Marchant's final triumph. <laughs> the worst of all is the quiet description of this room after George had gone. Telling about the two bodies. They're going cold. My great fear is that George will come back before this potion wears off. I sat staring at the window. Now letting in a chill breeze. Just about convinced myself that George wouldn't be back when... There he was! The thing I feared was happening. George did remember at last. But Trudy had told him to kill me. And I am still powerless to help myself. This was the story that Marchant had designed for the script. Now he's about to get it. Get it too late to bring him any more of his precious fame. George do bad thing. George forget, Trudy. George forget. George do bad thing. Once more, I tried to move but couldn't. All I can do is write. Well, I'd at least leave a record this thing so that all the world would know what a half hour of a perfect script had cost the lives of so many people. George is standing over me now. He's raising his arm. The knife blade catches a glint of light and my eyes are blinded momentarily by the brilliance. George shifts his weight a little to plunge the knife. He pauses and... <laughs> you know, suddenly, for no reason at all, I think of a road. A road that I walked along in Arizona just a week ago. Free, happy, glad to be alive. And then... The Perfect Script. But remember to join us next week at the same time for another journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy to hear the tale of the cask of Amontillado. Tonight's program was an original radio drama by Bob Olson entitled The Perfect Script. Heard in tonight's program were Richard Thorne as Marshawn, 
Charles Grayson is Shank. Beth Calder is Trudy, and Nelson Hall is George. Musical background was provided by Earl Donaldson. The technical supervisor was Nephi Sorensen. These programs are produced and directed by Richard Thorne. Remember, be with us again next Sunday night on call at 8.30 p.m. when the Granite Furniture Stores in Sugar House, Murray, and Provo will take you on another journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy to hear the tale of The Cask of Amontillado. That was the perfect script from the series Hall of Fantasy here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was Joshua's pick this week. He brought this to the table. Joshua, what's going on? Why did you pick this? Why are you so excited? Are you feeling okay? Yes. (laughs) Well, as you guys have probably figured out about me, I love a script that is very ambitious and tries crazy huge (laughs) out there ideas i just could not get past this sort of delightful irony that this is the story of a writer whose ambition is greater than his talent written by a writer whose ambition is greater than his talent (laughs) and I, i i don't mean that to dismiss it i hate bringing something to the podcast to just say isn't this hilarious or in an ironic way and i don't really mean that because it doesn't entirely work by any means but it is one of the craziest scripts i have heard on old time radio in a long time <laughs> i listened to it with my mouth hanging open <laughs> kind of the entire time the first time i heard it and i've been waiting for months to bring it to the podcast because it just is incredibly bizarre let me ask you something before tim and i respond What's your guess on how we feel about this? I'm sure Eric hates it because <laughs> you want logic. And this, this script does not provide a lot of that. Tim is going to be kind of on the fence. <laughs> He's going to admire certain ambitious moments and certain reaches this script makes. But other parts of it, he's going to find hysterically funny. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. <laughs> I know you guys. Tim, tell him well. stuff. <laughs> Ironic, you should do that because one of the I listened to this episode several times, and that psych out fake. You have top, to listen to it several times. But at the very top, that ah, that's thanks for listening to the show. I fall for it every time. Like what? <laughs> Did I fall asleep? Did I miss it? Tim, I did the same thing when I first started listening to this. I went, oh, because sometimes I bump on my phone or my computer or whatever, and I go to the end by accident. You've been listening to the perfect script. And I went, oh, shoot, what's happening? That meta moment mm-hmm. that And I really me. admired that the first time I heard this, and then when I fell for it again and again. <laughs> So did you literally just keep starting it over every time it ended for hours? I did start my over. I will start by telling you, Joshua, that what you just said has given me two things I didn't realize. Your observation of a perfect script being written by a person that doesn't have the ability to write a good script written by someone that doesn't have the ability to write a good script is gorgeous i have never you left up the key the key word though is the ambition which is why i I enjoyed it so much the second thing i was going to say is you use the word ambitious and when you said that i went you know what i'm gonna temper a lot of things i was about to say because it is 
definitely ambitious. Well, just the opening that you guys are just talking about, <laughs> yep. that fooled you yeah. two buffoons <laughs> over and over again is an ambitious start to this. Yes. Yes. But there's so many holes in this thing. No, there is. <laughs> <laughs> well... There's a couple of things specifically that are so weird and so off that I wondered, like, are these deliberate errors put in to sort of ironically wink at the concept of a perfect script? For example, when he describes George stroking her hair like he did on the beach, like, he did not stroke her hair on the beach. Right. That's factually wrong. Um, (laughs) Or brilliantly postmodern. Or that. (laughs) Or, as Tim just said, which is another thing, are they purposely writing a bad script in a show called The Perfect Script? Well, it becomes this blurred thing at the end, where is he narrating his thoughts, or is this the script he's actually writing? And Eric's shaking his head like, oh, that's so horrible, but to me, the potential brilliance of this script (laughs) is that ending. It is the most grisly old-time radio show I've ever heard. A full third of this is a drugged, narrated murder sequence. Where he can't move. Where he can't move. Except which... type. Except type. Okay, right? But, Why? but his will... What his... drug is that? <laughs> You've never taken that drug in college? <laughs> where you're like, you wake up and you're like, I finished all my papers. How did that happen? <laughs> Just... oh, you're right. It's called no-dose and they don't have it anymore. Just because I can't resist anything going on except for typing the events I see. <laughs> And then saying them out loud. <laughs> and saying them out loud. Yeah, the prescription of plot contrivium. It's uh, like listening to uh, Alan's Psychedelic Breakfast on Pink Floyd's uh, album. Are you complimenting it or <laughs> criticizing it? it it's weird. Uh, for uh, me, marmalade. that I like marmalade. felt like a waking nightmare. And I bought in because it was so horrific. This idea that you cannot move. You're doing things sort of against your will. Yes, it's hand-wavy how that happens Uh, you know but the sequence itself is horrific because they commit to the violence the woman's face is described as being slashed from like ear to corner of the mouth and she's dead correct he's clearly putting the good blood from johnny all over his body they don't describe it but it's clear because they then later say he's covered in blood Mm -hmm. it's a nightmare sequence in a bizarre script so i can see why nobody else but me (laughs) would find this fascinating but it felt like something out of a david lynch or quentin tarantino film like if they had some Mm -hmm. unholy union (laughs) (laughs) and went back in time and produced an old-time radio now i'm picturing that unholy union (laughs) But here's the issues. Why did they choose roller skating organ music <laughs> during that scene? It's so terrible. Again, if you're being weird just for being weird. This is a big difference between us. And I realize I need to pay more attention. I am very script focused. You always point out sound effects or music in the background that I have absolutely zero memory of. Really? Uh, yeah. I waited for the... And now it's boys ask girls dance. <laughs> and then I can't stand roller skating uh, organ music because I, you know, I couldn't skate backwards and so no girl would pick me. Aww. Because only the boys were allowed to skate backwards because it was 1978 and I everything. could duck shoot, but I couldn't go backwards. Don't Since we're tackling this backwards, one of the things that I really liked about the very end, and it felt strangely real and like something I've never heard in old-time radio, the moment before he's killed, where his thoughts veer off 
to oh yeah walking down a road in arizona i loved that moment that was the best thing in this mm-hmm. his moment before death of describing something pleasant i thought was gorgeously written and really cool yeah. i loved how sad and grotesque that moment was to hear that final thought so that i loved but then george finished the script for him good blood (laughs) the end george wrote this oh you mean you mean george played by some guy that happened to be standing around one day i literally thought george the animal steel was that (laughs) he's the worst in this is Terrible from top to bottom. George is I, the worst actor whoever played that. It's a toss-up. They're all terrible. <laughs> I'll give you that. I honestly think this script, even with the like plot holes you could drive a semi-truck through, could be really good with a better director and actor. Correct. Like, suspense caliber actors and Anton M. Leader directing it. Um, the good blood. Good blood. <laughs> yes. like there's, there's nothing wrong with the idea of a plot where you're drugged and forced to watch. This sounds so terrible. What I'm about here. to say, but right, <laughs> what's about to come out of my mouth? <laughs> there's nothing wrong with this being okay. drugged and being forced. I mean, if to it's watch. a writer, who cares? <laughs> being forced to watch a murder because you're drugged and immobilized is a terrifying and amazingly interesting horror story but the fact that he can type and someone's put on roller skating music and you know all of these things that are added to it that are unnecessary and destroy it for me well that it's a small but important distinction he's not forced to watch someone die he's forced to die and write the story yes and then should we just talk about cold milk (laughs) how much milk can you drink she brought him a whole pitcher now, you remember uh, several months ago when we listened to the sealed book, The Hands of oh, yes. Death. Yes. And that was also something that involved a drug in milk. Mm-hmm. And now I'm starting to wonder if there's something I'm missing. If there's something that cold milk hides the taste of drugs. Because this is two incredibly well-written and clearly well-researched episodes of All Time Radio. <laughs> <laughs> in which they use uh, milk as an agent for some sort of drug or poison they're trying to get through. But it may be unrelated, but I did research at one point. Um, the back in, I think it was the 20s, death by cyanide poisoning was relatively common because it was just rat poison. It was You could yeah. just buy it in any store. Um, mm-hmm. So it was not hard to poison someone. So it might have been actually more common than yeah. seems normal to us now. But did it require milk? If you had milk, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I just loved how hard they hit milk, too. This was like Chekhov's milk. You knew that this was narratively significant milk, and now that they introduced it, they had to use this milk. Do you think if he'd chosen hot coffee, it'd be like, darn it. You sure you don't want milk? Come on. Can I just go through my list? Yeah. (laughs) Nothing happens that would raise his suspicions that he was going to kill him. There's nothing really that happened to make him come to that conclusion. Out of the blue, he just says, Are well, you you're kidding me? I had me. the exact opposite reaction, yeah. where it was like, this is the slowest realization on earth. I thought like, to me, I thought that was the plot hole that it took him so long to go, <laughs> wait a minute. 
what no one he... has ever heard of any writer on this show who has done what, a second script. Done a second script. He's clearly somebody who's brand new. He said, this is my big break. This guy just picks him out of the blue. He says, come to my weird beach house. And here's my insane uh, housekeeper. And here, drink my pitcher of cold milk. Okay. I, we can agree there's a plot hole. We just think that- <laughs> I, 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 can, I can see that point of view that, yeah, th- th- you would be suspicious. But there was nothing directly like, oh, he's going to kill me that... Thing, weird things I mean, if happening. anything, it's just such a ridiculous premise that he like, why would anyone do that? Right. Why are you going out there in the first place? <laughs> or why would anyone hire a writer to write a script, so kill them? This is my second oh. point, is why? Why is he doing this? Well, clearly there's some sort of craziness that runs in the family. Because I think it's not said explicitly, but it's very clear that George is also a sibling. Trudy is his well, he sister. Lives in the- he lives in the basement apartment. And he, there's a throwaway line from John, the producer, who says, you know, you might be crazy too if you had to live with George. And so I think it's all one lunatic family. I mean, that's maybe not so enough just, to justify it. But yeah, there's no, no way this would last. I also <laughs> took it to be that this radio show is so wildly popular because the scripts are so perfect. I mean, they, they have the exchange of uh, the actors at the very top there of when I leave, I'm, gonna, I'm afraid right. I'm going to be mobbed. That's another note I have. Why would he need police protection from this radio show? I, that's not explained. He just meant that the show terrified him. There was something so genuine about the scripts, and then we find out it's, it feels genuinely frightening because the writers writing it were dying as they wrote it. All right. Duh, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the three of us should take this podcast on the road. That's our next thing that we like take a trip and our next three episodes would be at Murray Provo and, <laughs> and Sugar House. Sugar House. Sugar Hill, I think it was. <laughs> that kills me. Was this a national show, by the way? Not at this point. Not at no, this point. This so is it was the, from the first Utah. run. This is maybe the sixth or seventh so episode. It, it's the earliest surviving episode. So it didn't go national till WGN, and I'm guessing they reused the script. Yeah, so like the Shadow People, which we've listened to, is right. from that second version of the show. I'm really glad, because what a waste of money to advertise <laughs> your furniture store on <laughs> Murray Provo and Sugar Hill. <laughs> One of the other things that jumped out at me is like, did they put that in deliberately? When he's talking about he was staying out at the sea, and John asks him something about been staring at for 29 months, mm-hmm. which made me but, think, has he been in this room for over two years with a glass of milk? Well, <laughs> they mentioned the war, so uh, I assumed he was in the Navy, and this is shortly after the war. It's 47, which brings me back to the weird red herring subplot with Trudy and her husband. Uh-huh. A, it establishes that she's crazy, but it when I first heard it, it made me think, is this a ghost story? Is this about right. Trudy's husband come back to life? Well, is that the mysterious figure on the beach we yes, hear? Yeah. Why is that even included, right? Why is that even in there, her uh, trying well, to find the, her? I mean, I did like the story of the, was it the ring that was returned to her? Yeah, because it's crazy the, and it's tragic, her clear belief. But it has that, nothing to do with anything. I think it functions as a red herring, and I think it functions well in that regard. Why couldn't that have been the perfect script? You know, like that would have been a great catalyst. I had a similar reaction to when George has killed these two people. He's so happy with his new blood. He's wandered off 
Phew, I'm safe. I'm ending the story. No, George is coming back. We got to go do this again. To me, it was trademark Hall of Fantasy, mm. where it's like no one lives in a Hall of Fantasy show. They are notoriously dark in their endings. That true. Everyone dies. It's always tragic. Any other radio show would have ended there, where you thought, oh, good, the writer got out, and that's why we're hearing the story. It reminded me a lot. I'm a huge fan of Jim Thompson, who's a mid-century crime writer, and one of his trademark moves is he would narrate a story in the first person, and he would kill off the first person narrator who's speaking in the past tense as if he's been alive the whole time, like mid-sentence, the very last line of the book. He'd be like, who's been narrating this? What's going on? (laughs) And so you're totally taken by surprise, and that's what this ending reminded me of, because I thought, oh, he's made it out alive. Nope. Speaking of the ending and my proclivity for uh, picking up on Foley and things of that nature, there was another terrible moment (laughs) where, and I have stated that I really love that as he's about to die, he remembers this road and this happy moment Mm -hmm. in his life. And I thought it was really a beautiful moment. Like, I was really, really happy with that. And then as he dies, how he dies isn't this groan or a stabbing sound or anything. I remember a road. I was on a week ago. I was alive and happy. And then, and then a chair tips over. That's the only sound is like clunk, clunk. Oh, I, dis- I disagree. I liked how small it was. <laughs> I loved how I will... small. Because you have that. Because you, you know that. that would have killed it. You have that moment where you're like, did he do it? He's dead. That's what I love about it. If it was like, shink, uh, thunk, <laughs> that would have totally killed that moment. And it's surprising given the acting in the rest of the, of the episode that they didn't do that. But so I will let go that, that they didn't stop there. They had another line from George. Not bad first draft. George make few changes. <laughs> Add George's name. <laughs> All right. George sounds stupid in this. (laughs) (laughs) Any other thoughts, gentlemen, before we throw this to our vote? So many, but I won't take myself. I'll just start it then. I I just don't like it. Uh, I get that it might be tongue-in-cheek, or it might have layers to it, or it might be all meta. I don't think it has any of those. Or it might be (laughs) ironic in the sense of, we're going to write a show called The Perfect Script about a perfect script that isn't a perfect script, and won't that be hilarious? I don't know what's going on. Ambitious? Yes. Failure? Yes. Not standing the test of time. I I do not think the test of time was well. It is weird in a way that I really like. I like weird, (laughs) which is almost an understatement. I'm like, oh, it's a little odd. Uh, But as you said, it's it's ambitious. It's it zigzags plot wise. It's got red herrings. It's uh, faints and bobs and weaves, and then you die. <laughs> <laughs> right. I just want to say it again. That ending of him remembering that happy time, I thought, was a really brilliant moment. I can't argue with anything you guys said, other than I do think my prediction of how you would respond is a classic, because <laughs> I nailed it. Yes, um, yes, but yes. you know, I think this—I don't even want to say stand the test of time, because I think it would be a disaster in any time. Um, but it is as off now as it was then, <laughs> and that's what's fascinating about it. I think if its weirdness didn't stand the test of time, it would seem like old-fashioned, but its preposterousness is timeless. (laughs) Um, And I am still drawn to it in a bizarre way. Um, But I do think it is of at least aesthetic interest that this was a time in radio when you can just get on the air and try 
the craziest of stuff. And that's sometimes the most captivating thing to me. A few weeks ago, we did Creeps by Night. And mm-hmm. you said to me at the end when we did our results that you had come around a little bit more. You liked it a little bit more because of my enthusiasm yeah. for it. I'm going to tell you the same thing. <laughs> How does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> what you just said has made me go, you know what? You're absolutely right. The failure of this and the ambitiousness of this and your enthusiasm for their attempt is absolutely worth Having listened to that, yeah. I was very quick to go, <laughs> but you're right. You, you can't say they didn't try to do something new. <laughs> you should have seen me hovering over the send button when I attached this to the email. I was like, do I want to do this? Do I want to yes. go out? <laughs> yes, do it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move to the end here. Tim, yeah. tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You will find other episodes of the podcast there. You can comment on podcasts. There's a contact page where you can send us a message. You can reach our social media outlets like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And you can just find out about live shows we do. If you're in the Twin Cities area, we do live shows. Come see us. Yeah, you can also go to iTunes and write a review because we love reviews. We're getting really close to 100 uh, ratings slash reviews on iTunes and we'd love to get to that magic 100. I don't know magic. I don't know what it does yeah, what for happens? us. But I, I'll be happy. Huh? Which is really hard to please me. <laughs> no, it's not. No, you're right. You just enjoyed one of the worst shows I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast financially. Because <laughs> we're barely keeping it together, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, we have all sorts of exciting rewards and cool stuff for uh, members at different levels so please consider supporting this podcast all right coming up next uh, we are going to be doing a listener pick that is right and we are going back to suspense for an episode called the long night until then he's going to start writing so take some cold milk and sandwiches to him or would you rather have coffee oh milk could be fine i want my milk and i want it now I want my milk and I want it now My breast and well I want my bottle both And I want my milk and I want it now